And welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you, as always, from the mobile studio in the heart of North Yorkshire, England. After what's turned into a mini hiatus, um, I do seem to apologise a lot, don't I, for the gaps in between these podcasts. And once again, I find myself doing that. Uh, But I guess it's kind of fair to have a little bit of a hiatus between seasons. And indeed, I've had a, a little bit of a family holiday as well. Uh, We had a a nice week up in Northumberland, which was really good fun. Um, But we're back now, um, ready to get stuck into season two. Uh, There's there's not a great deal of Dexter news, really. Um, Season six is well underway, filming-wise. I think they're probably up to about about episode five now. Um, There's been loads of casting news since I last talked to you about season six. Uh, But, of course, this being a season to rewatch podcast i shan't be going into anything that might be considered spoilery about forthcoming episodes um i do hope to do another season six preview podcast before season six starts at the moment it's looking like uh, season six won't premiere on us tv until i think it'll be the first sunday in october off the top of my head, I think it's October the 2nd, which is a hell of a long way to wait. Um, last season uh, premiered in uh, at the end of September, uh, and I think season one is the only other season to have premiered at the beginning of October. All the others have been late September. Um, Showtime are currently rerunning old seasons of Dexter, I believe. Um, obviously, I'm in the UK, so I'm not, uh, I, I don't get Showtime on my, uh, on my TV, but... Um, I think that's what I'm hearing. Um, so, uh, yeah, season six, well underway filming, and uh, and that's all great. There's lots of little tidbits coming out on Twitter. Um, some of the guest stars are posting comments. Um, there are a few spoilers kicking around episode titles and whatnot. Um, so be careful if you want to stay spoiler-free. There are a few bits and bobs out there. There's some photos. Uh, there's uh, one particular photo that... Um, that struck me about the first episode um, of the new season, but um, so far I've managed to stay uh, major spoiler-free. I've been keeping an eye on the casting news, uh, because that's all of interest, Um, and uh, I've been reading a bit about some of the new characters, but um, I certainly don't know anything about the the major plot lines. Uh, And I hope it stays that way, so uh, if you... (laughs) If you share that view, then uh, stick around, because I, I shan't be spoiling you, uh, and I sh- certainly won't be spoiling anything about Season 6 here in, in these rewatch podcasts, so you, you're in safe hands. Okay, um, Season 2, Episode 1. Let's get stuck in, shall we? Uh, the first episode is called It's Alive. The original air date was the 6th of July, 2008, so there we see that uh, previous seasons premiered quite a lot earlier in the in the um in the year i don't know just thinking back whether that was anything to do with the writer's strike why season two aired a bit earlier um not that it matters because we're just re-watching aren't we at our leisure um the episode was written by daniel cerrone who is a familiar name from season one he wrote the season one finale and the director of this episode is tony goldwyn dr meridian himself let's dive in shall we
tonight's the night. And it's going to happen again and again. Has to happen. It's not what I want, but what I want doesn't matter. This is the only way I know how to survive. And so the new season opens with some of the same words that opened the pilot episode back in season one. It first appears that Dexter's back in the swing of things, resigned to having to kill in order to survive, to keep going. He says it's not about what he wants. Of course, we know he's just answering his dark passenger. But as Dexter drives along, we see he's being followed by dokes. We think he's off to kill someone, but they pull a sneaky one, and he's actually out bowling with Batista and Masuka. I love the slogan on Dexter's bowling shirt, bowl till you bleed. And in voiceover, Dexter calculates exactly how many days, hours, minutes it's been since he killed Brian. And that since he's not had a night to himself since then, because Dokes has stuck to him like a limpet, He's talking like a drug addict suffering from withdrawal, uh, which he kind of is, in a way. He seems desperate to kill someone, like an ex-smoker might yearn for a cigarette. OK, killing somebody is slightly different to wanting another fag, but Dexter thinks his only chance of getting rid of dokes is to act totally normal. Dull, even. So, he bowls. No offence to anyone who bowls. <laughs> it's another example of Dexter doing something that he otherwise would have no interest in doing, just to maintain that mask of normality, to avoid suspicion, yet something as popular as tempin bowling he considers dull. I guess it might well be to him. Talking like this, it sounds like he gets no actual pleasure or enjoyment from doing it. Batista gives him a pep talk before their bowling match, and it's quite funny how he's preaching to Dexter, trying to be helpful, but Dexter kind of phases out and considers how Batista also lost someone when his wife left him, but he found answers on an episode of Oprah. Dexter wishes it was that easy for him. Finally, Dokes leaves, and Dexter is free for a while. He tells us he's known who was his next target for weeks. He goes into a kind of voodoo shop after he's been bowling, and the guy behind the counter seems to be blind. And it turns out he is. Dexter talks to him about wanting a death curse. And the guy tries to send him on his way until Dexter puts some money in his hand. They go through to a back room and Dexter sticks him with the familiar needle. In voiceover he recognises that taking out a blind man isn't particularly sporting. But he doesn't discriminate. Equal rights exhibited by a serial killer. How about that? Dexter has his usual trap chat with his victim, and usually he makes multiple direct references to his ritual. Maybe he thought the victim would understand the ritual aspect, given his active interest in voodoo. And then it gets really funny. I am the one with the power in his hands. That's not entirely accurate. Those who believe in me shall be free. Alabanza! Alabanza! Get off. How'd you poison them? Dexter asks how he poisons his victims, and the guy took on that crazy voice, trying to scare him. Dexter looks a bit puzzled for a second before prodding him in the face. Knock it off! <laughs> the man says he doesn't poison them. Medulla does. Suggesting it's some spirit or demon or something. Reminded me a bit of Dexter being guided by his dark passenger, 
Here's this latest victim laying blame for his crimes on some ethereal or psychological entity. Dexter goes to stab him, but his hand hovers with the knife over his chest. He looks confused, conflicted. The hand shakes before he stabs the knife into the table, and he, he whispers, what the fuck, before starts cutting the shrink wrap and says, let that be a lesson to you. So, what the hell happened there? Has he been out of killing for so long that he's forgotten how to do it? Has the light within him become stronger than the darkness? Like there's something inside now telling him this is wrong. He still goes out on his boat that night, only this time without a body to dump, and in voiceover he confirms it feels like he's forgotten who he is. He mentions how the killing brings order to the chaos, gives him a sense of civic pride. A phrase that jumped out to me, civic pride, like he feels as if he's doing society a favour by ridding the world of these murderers, taking out the trash, as he's put it before. Remember his daydream at the end of season one, where there was the ticker tape parade in his honour, everyone grateful to him. Somehow, I don't think civic pride is his primary motivator, though, but clearly he does fantasise about receiving praise for what he's rid society of. Interestingly, the camera zooms in on his boat's sonar display, and we can see, clearly, numerous blobs on the seabed below, presumably the bodies of his victims. He goes home to find Deb working out. It's the middle of the night, and they each express surprise that the other's still up and about at this time. I noted Deb's T-shirt here. It read, alive and well. A nice little nod to her surviving Brian. Funny that that's the second shirt in this episode with something meaningful on it. Deb thanks Dexter for putting her up. You're all I've got, she says. Dexter muses how she's been unable to sleep when he's out. She really seems to be putting a brave face on it, but the telltale signs of her being affected by her traumatic experience, they're there all right. Meanwhile, Dexter washes the wasted blood slide and calls himself pathetic. He's in conflict with himself, isn't he? And we go to a flashback. Teenage Dexter's practising firing a handgun. He and Harry were planning a hunting trip, but Harry gets called into work. Dexter's really upset and missing out on going hunting and tries to explain how psychopaths have low tolerance for frustration. Harry doesn't buy it, though, saying Dexter's in control of his urges, not the other way round. He tries to take the gun from him, and there's a brief struggle, and the gun goes off. The flashback quickly ends, kind of abruptly. Now, it's interesting Harry said that, that Dexter is in control of his urges. Previously, it had been suggested that Harry believed Dexter's urges needed to be satisfied, like he was resigned to Dexter having this darkness in him, and through the code, they were creating a way of managing the way Dexter gave into it. But maybe here he was trying a different tack. I don't know. Next morning, Dex is at Rita's house, and with the kids occupied by the TV, she pulls him into the bedroom and basically jumps on him. She had an urge, she says, something Dexter knows all about, of course. Sadly, though, he can't um, rise to the occasion, and it seemed like he didn't expect to be able to rise to the occasion, but she's understanding, blaming herself. Dexter's just thoroughly preoccupied, though. As his subsequent voiceover verifies, he just can't work out whether he's just rusty or whether he took pity on his victim. Later he's in his office, mulling this over on his computer, when Dokes comes in. He quickly clicks off and pulls up a pawn site. Hey, Sergeant. Thanks for supporting the bowling team. Fuck you. Where's my blood report on the Maynard victim? So what's that, a titty site? Oops, 
Caught me. Bullshit. What the hell were you really doing in here? The tits are right there. Yeah. But in ten years, you've never rented a single porn title. Huh. How would you know? Call me an office crazy, but your humbling interest in my personal life could be misinterpreted as harassment in some circles. So report me. I could think of easier solutions. Nice tits. So this is continuing the feud that was set up last season. Dokes actively on Dexter's tail, finding out as much as he can, trusting his police instincts. This is a really intriguing storyline. First time I watched it, this storyline alone had me hooked. Back in the main office, LaGuerta is getting comfy at a new desk among the troops, when Deb walks in to a round of applause. Even Dokes smiles. She gives LaGuerta a hug, which catches her off guard given their history. But LaGuerta gets called in by the new boss, who we were of course introduced to at the end of season one, Lieutenant Pascal. Remember she hinted that she was wise to Captain Matthews' agenda and implied she could be a friend. Pascal's keen to get Deb straight back out in the field and wants her to check out a body with Dokes. LaGuerta isn't sure, but Pascal insists. Seems like the hug was more evidence that Deb's not ready. Before she goes, she notices a bunch of flowers stuffed in a bin. Allergies, Pascal says. Down at the waterside, there's a bloody body. It's got multiple slice wounds, and Dexter thinks they were caused by a machete. Doak says that's the weapon of choice of a local gang, the 29th Street Kings. The dead body has 29th tattooed on him. Dexter tries to take some photos, but thinks the camera's playing up. Then Batista notices the lens cap's still on. A minute later, Masuka tells Dexter he's standing in blood, to which Doak scores a point. You're supposed to preserve the crime scene, asshole. <laughs> Dexter tells Batista he's just a bit off his game today. Meanwhile, Deb's speaking to the boatman who found the body, but she's distracted by a member of the public behind the tape who recognises her from the papers. He calls her Mrs. Ice Truck Killer and wants her to pose for a photo. Looks scared, he says. Deb has her back to him and looks upset. Lagoetta notices and look conser- looks concerned, but just as you think Deb's going to snap on the guy, she turns around and smiles nicely for a photo. Suddenly, a woman charges through the line and rushes to the body. She's distraught. LaGuerta comforts her. Batista translates to Dexter. She's the victim's mother and says she knows who killed him. Little Chino, it sounded like. She was also asking Dexter to find him and kill him like a dog. Little did she know she was talking to the one person who's actually capable of doing that. A little girl appears and cuddles the woman. The victim's sister, maybe. Dexter observes and maybe starts to get a bit of his mojo back, an incentive to get back to doing what he does. The girl looks at him and he says he knows that look, pleading someone to do something. The scene briefly flashes to three-year-old Dexter on Harry's shoulder. Cut to the prison. Astor and Cody are sitting with Paul, Rita just reading at a a nearby table. Paul's having fun with them when a prison guard taps his wristwatch. Time to go. But when they go to leave, Paul has a word with Rita about his appeal. Seems like the appeal hangs on the shoe being found because he's convinced he was set up. He pleads Rita to help him. Of course, we know she's already found the shoe. Back at the police station, Dex is motivated by seeing the family of the dead gangbanger and thinks that by targeting little Chino, he could get himself back on track. 
but he says only if he satisfies Harry's code. A direct reference here to the code, and that Dex's victims must always fulfil the code. He goes to have a chat with Deb, who's not in the best of moods. He subtly inquires about what they've found on little Chino. Deb reveals that this guy's a right little toe rag. My words, not hers. <laughs> He's an enforcer for his gang, and linked to multiple murders. Sounds like a suitable target for Dexter, doesn't he? Especially so when Deb says the guy's, the guy's been tried twice, but both times key witnesses were murdered, so he got released and escaped justice. Another requirement of the code. A target must have evaded the justice system. Then who should walk in? Led by Dokes, but little Chino himself. But bugger me, he's anything but little. He's built like a brick shithouse. The guy is a man mountain. Jesus! Dexter's face is a picture. His jaw just drops. And you can almost see a hint of a smile on his face. He may relish this one. We jump to a flashback, one that continues from where the last one left off, with the gun going off. And we see that Harry wasn't hurt, but he's mad with Dexter for having his finger on the trigger when it wasn't necessary. He wasn't going to use it. Young Dexter, though, is totally fascinated to feel Harry's heart beating rapidly in reaction. In reaction to the shock, seems like a racing heart is something unfamiliar to him. Back at the police room, they're watching Batista interview the dead guy's mother. She agrees to testify about little Chino. Great news for the police, not so for Dexter, who was looking forward to getting the guy on his table. Clearly now he has to let the justice system play out before Chino can become a valid target again. But then they discover the woman's got a history of drug use, and suddenly she doesn't seem like such a clean star witness that they might have liked. So the case looks under threat, and they think Chino will walk now, walking right back into Dexter's sights. Oh yes. Again Dexter catches the eye of the little girl, though. She's really providing him with motivation here, and since his memory of his own trauma at a young age, it really seems like he's determined to protect or avenge children all the more. We cut to a boat offshore, where divers are heading down to look for a wreck. We zoom in on the boat's sonar screen and see some familiar blobs on the display. The same ones we saw in Dexter's earlier in the episode. Uh-oh. <laughs> we follow the divers down, and they find a bundle on the seabed. They open one up, and out pops a hand and a head. A wide shot reveals loads and loads of similar bundles down there. Dexter's dumping ground has been discovered. I sang it before, and I'll sing it again. Plug your ears. There may be trouble ahead. <laughs> Cut to Dexter's apartment. He's packed his killing bag ready for little Chino, but he's having to cancel a date with Rita. He practically has to beg Deb to go out with Rita instead of him, and only gets through to her when he asks her, when does he ever ask her for anything? And her response is really funny. When do I ever ask you for anything? You bunghole, why do you have to put it that way? <laughs> That's a word you don't hear very often. Bunghole. <laughs> so, off goes Dexter. He gets to the bowling alley. <laughs> I'm so childish, aren't I? <laughs> he gets to the bowling alley, but before he goes inside, he goes over to Dokes, who's pulled up in his own car. Still following, obviously. He says a few pleasant words, met with Dokes' steely stare. Dexter goes in. Dokes looks pissed off and drives away, much to Dexter's relief. Back at the police station, is working late when suddenly the lift doors open and raised voices are heard. It's Lieutenant Pascal and a man having an argument. She's really pissed off with him and it's clear she's got some major domestic issues going on. She spots Laguerta hiding round the corner after the guy leaves and Pascal apologises to her. The man's her fiancé. 
Pascal talks a bit, opening up a little, saying she thinks he's cheating on her. Then, at Rita's house, she gets a call from Paul in prison. He's saying he doesn't think he's going to survive in there. He's really pressing her to find the shoe. It's the key to his appeal, and this time she reveals she's got it. He's delighted, of course, but she says it doesn't prove anything, and if Paul sends a lawyer round about it, the shoe will be gone. She says she's in a healthy relationship with Dexter, and she's not going to jeopardise that for the sake of her abusive ex-husband. Go, girl. <laughs> he was a bastard to her for years. Rita's got some newfound confidence. It's great to see. And thanks to Dexter, I'd say. And I think Dexter would be surprised to know that he's had such a positive influence on another human being in this way. We then join little Chino, getting into his car, having had a tattoo done to signify he's killed somebody else. His car's been filled with chickens, though, and he jumps out, only to be jumped by Dexter, who jabs him with a double dose of tranquilizer. Dexter takes him to the back room at that voodoo shop from earlier. This'll be the kill room. He muses how the owners fled town. Hmm, there's a surprise. Harry can't save you now, but you could email the podcast. DissectingDexter at gmail.com We cut to Deb and Rita in a bar, having their girls' night out. They're talking about Paul. Deb reminds us that she answered that domestic call all those years ago. Well, maybe not all those years ago, but some time ago. The one that saved Rita's life. She says Paul deserves to be in prison. Rita's feeling a bit sorry for herself, but then remembers what Deb's just gone through and she feels bad. Deb's kind of flippant about it. Typical Deb. Hiding her true feelings, putting up that facade of indifference. But maintaining a mask is something she shares with her brother. But her eyes tell a different story and the camera shot isn't particularly subtle. She's got to be seriously traumatised by what she went through, but she's a tough cookie, on the outside anyway. Rita's saying how she sometimes misses the good parts. Not him, it's not him that you miss. Because what he had to offer wasn't real. The way he made you feel about yourself. That was real. Are you okay? You refill? Interesting. A nice delivery there from Jennifer Carpenter. She really seems to mature as an actress through the show, in parallel with the character maturing. She goes to the bar to get more drinks, and a guy recognises her from the TV. He puts his hand on her shoulder to talk to her, but Deb busts his nose with her elbow. She has a bit of an outburst, doesn't she, saying he grabbed her. The talk with Rita obviously brought back all those feelings that she'd been trying to keep hidden, but was still simmering away beneath the surface. Poor Deb. Ah, damn, I said it again. But she really needs help. Back in the kill room, little Chino is all wrapped up, ready to kill. Dexter goes to cut his cheek to take the blood slide, but his hand shakes as he makes the cut, and he makes a bad cut. He's trying to get the sample when Chino wakes up, and Dexter realises to his horror there isn't enough tape to keep him on the table. Oh my God! He rushes to stab him, but Chino breaks free and grabs his arm. There's a little bit of a struggle, but Chino escapes out through the door, gets away. Dexter doesn't pursue and just muses how long it's been since he killed his brother and feels like he's cursed. Flashback, and young Dexter's on top of a tall building, standing right on the edge of the roof, hand on chest, obviously still intrigued by Harry's heart racing in response to the gun going off. And now Dexter's trying to create a situation that'll set his own heart going. Suddenly Harry appears and grabs him, he thinks he was trying to kill himself, but Dexter says he was just trying to 
trying to find a way to feel alive. Harry hugs him, and we cut back to present day. I don't normally seek human contact in times of failure, but then I don't normally experience failure. Right now, all I can think about is the smell of Rita's kitchen, the breathy cadence of her sleeping children, the warmth of her flesh. Quite a step for Dexter, who was taught to avoid getting close to people to help protect him from being discovered. And now he's in a time of need, and he feels that he needs human contact from someone who cares about him, and in all probability, although he won't openly admit it or even recognise it, someone he may be starting to care about in return. He finds Rita on her step, crying. She's had a call from the prison to say Paul's dead. Dexter says, "Oh," but then you can see on his face he knows he should find the right level of concern, say the right thing at the right time. Paul died in a fight with another inmate. Rita feels responsible because he was angry after their phone call and got into a fight. Plus, she now has to find a way to tell the kids that their father's dead. But he knows she could have helped him. When Dexter says it was Paul's fault he was back in prison, Rita looks at him and says, "Was it?" She breaks down in tears though, and Dexter holds her, probably trying to understand her upset, but probably recognizing his contribution to this situation and upset that he's brought to her. And the kids too. When he gets back to his apartment, Deb excitedly leads him to the TV, where a news report's playing. Two treasure hunters made a ghastly discovery today when they stumbled on what appears to be an underwater graveyard in a crevice off the coast of Miami. There's bodies in those bags. The butchered bodies were submerged inside these heavy-duty garbage bags. Authorities have located at least 30 bags so far, but around-the-clock salvage efforts are still underway. Did you hear that? 30 bags. Do you know what that means? It means there might be a new mass murderer out there, way worse than the ice truck killer. Maybe I can finally get some peace. Isn't that great? It's amazing. Well, that got his heart racing, <laughs> and so ends the first episode of season two. I really enjoyed this one; nicely paced, and it nicely sets up what could be the main two storylines for the season. Doke's still on Dexter's trail, and now Dexter's stash of bodies being found. Then the supporting plot of Rita having a seed of suspicion about him, and her guilt over Paul's death. What impact will that have on their relationship? I suppose I ought to chuck in Lieutenant Pascal's domestic problems in there too, because that could have an influence on the office dynamic, and there may be something Laguerre can exploit to get her old job back. But bloody hell, Dexter in jeopardy or what? <laughs> the show is always at its best when Dexter's in danger of discovery, and it looks like his back might be against the wall very soon. Fascinating, how it was that what it was that set his pulse racing. Fascinating too, how he sought human contact when he was feeling that sense of failure, feeling low, needing the normalcy of what Rita and her children had to offer. His humanity's made some progress. But let's hear what you guys thought. Listener feedback. Okay, if you detect a slight difference, slight change in acoustics or audio quality uh, from the review section,、uh, you'll be quite right.、Um, I've Split my recording this week.、Uh, I was recording the first half of the show from the、uh, 
the Dissecting Dexter Mobile Studio. I'm now in a hotel room in, uh, well, not far from Newbury, not far from um, Reading in Berkshire, southern England now. Uh, I've come south today uh, to do a training course for work, so I'm recording the rest of this uh, from my hotel room. So um, I hope the sound quality isn't any any worse. Um, but let's dive into um, the feedback that I've received for this latest episode. Uh, first up, an email from our friend Tom in Poland who, uh, who just emailed to say, I really enjoyed the beginning of the episode. A lot of Dexter's voiceover. Other than that, a solid Dexter episode. It is interesting to see Dexter fail. That's not common to see. I also like the ending where Dexter's victims are found. And it seems to be very exciting for Deborah and at the same time horrible for Dexter. Thanks, Tom. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> it was quite startling and, and uh, very obvious for all to see the, the great difference in emotions uh, of Dexter and Deborah at the end there. Although, Dexter feeling his heart racing, was he excited in a small way? But yeah, generally uh, a pretty solid episode, I have to agree with you. And of course it is interesting and quite different, quite a change uh, to see Dexter fail. That certainly isn't common, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that and where he goes from here. Uh, although it seems like his activities may be seriously derailed with the discovery of his uh, his dumping ground. Um, but we'll, we'll see in the next episode. Uh, on Twitter, uh, I had some feedback from Jay Can't Get Enough, um, who says, Season 2 opens with Dexter himself as the big bad. A bold and brilliant stroke. No sophomore slump for this series. Dex responding to Dokes is tailing with mundane normalcy, a.k.a. the born-to-bleed bowling team, is hilarious. It feels kind of wrong to be actively rooting for Dexter to get his kill on again, and to be happy that Paul is dead. However, I think the catharsis brought about by all of the moral dilemmas and ambiguities is why I watch. Thanks very much for the feedback there. Describing Dexter as the big bad for this season, that's... Uh, that's quite uh, quite interesting, and indeed it seems, well obviously there's going to be a massive police investigation now those bodies have been found, so yes it looks like um, the police are going to be unknowingly looking for Dexter. And yeah, I love the uh, continuing interaction between Dexter and Dokes, that's great fun and, and fascinating to watch and see how that's going to unfold, because let's face it, Dokes has shown himself to be no idiot at all, and indeed to be very astute. Um, so Dexter could well be under threat from two directions here. And, uh, yeah, it, it, well, you, you, raise, you raise the point there about it, that it feels wrong to be actively rooting for Dexter to get his mojo back. Um, and that kind of sums up the moral dilemma for the audience with the series as a whole. Um, you know, we root for this guy who's doing questionable things, but... Um, He's, he's such, such a likeable character, isn't he? And, you know, he's taking out the trash, isn't he? Ridding society of these awful people, these murderers, who uh, we assume are going to go on to take more innocent lives. Um, so, you know, we, we root for this kind of vigilante-type character, whatever his primary motivation might be. And, you know, we said it before, it, his primary motivator is to satiate his dark passenger. So thanks for the feedback. Um, we go on now to a voicemail from Travis, who is a long-time contributor. Um, so let's, let's go into that now. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Uh, hey, Gareth, this is Travis. Just dropping a line to give you my thoughts on 
Season 2, Episode 1, It's Alive. Uh, I really don't have much to say, uh, I guess just apart from just a personal experience where I remember when this episode had first aired back in 2007, I was very disappointed. Uh, that was completely my fault. I had set unrealistically high expectations for the show. I was so in love with season one, like the whole year or the nine months afterwards, I was just so amped for it. It was, it was probably unhealthy. I was so pumped and nothing the show could have done could have met my expectations, I guess. Uh, I remember after the episode was finished, I mean, it was a good enough episode, but I remember just thinking like, this is it. That, That was it. You know, I don't know. I, it was unfair for me to set the show up that way. It's certainly unfair to to the show and unfair to to me. I expected the second coming or something. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, now that I'm older and I'm not such a dumbass, I see that. Uh, I I see that it was a uh, it was a good episode. There's certainly nothing to complain about. I mean, you know, if I may, if I can say, I mean, season two is another great season of Dexter. Uh, you know, uh, I like the fact that the season picked up just shortly after season one to where, you know, storylines didn't just get ignored. Deb is cer- certainly suffering some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, something over what happened. Uh, Doke's still, you know, tailing Dex. He's still pissed about something. He knows something anyway with Dex. Then, of course, you know, you got uh, you got Rita and Paul and all that drama. Uh the idea of Dexter getting stage fright, you know, you might call it. You know, we know he couldn't perform. He couldn't perform the deed of of killing someone. I mean, that's an interesting idea. And you know, because of it, now you know the uh, the hunt is, hunt is on for Little Chino. He's got to uh, catch him before the police department does. Uh, speaking of which, you got Laguerta has been, you know, set uh, demoted to I guess just regular detective now. Uh, we get to see how she's handling that. She seems to be pretty professional about it. Certainly not uh, the conniving, backstabbing Laguerta we saw from season one. Has she had a change of heart? Or can we really trust her motives? Only time will tell. Mm, very interesting. Uh, at any rate, before I start to ramble, I guess that's all I got. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing other people's thoughts. I certainly hope I'm not the only uh, voice voice caller in. At any rate, keep it real, Gareth. You're the man. Thanks, Travis. Really good to hear from you again, mate. Your comments. Uh, <laughs> interesting your thoughts there about uh, your initial disappointment on first watch, uh, set up mainly by your what, what you described as unrealistic expectations. I'm just thinking back to how I felt when I first watched it. I was blown away by the first season, no doubt. And uh, I thought it was a fantastic season of television, and I still do. I didn't really know what to expect from the second season. Um, And I must admit, I kind of wondered where the show would go. Um, But obviously, as you've talked about, and as we've talked about already in the podcast, there are a lot of storylines that were able to be carried over. And I think they've set up, with the discovery of the the Dex's body dumping ground, uh, a fascinating storyline to take us through this season. And of course, those of us who've seen this season before know uh, where that's going to go. Um, <laughs> your your use of the phrase uh, Dexter uh, not being able to perform um, when he was uh, at his kill table <laughs> it made me laugh because it, it made me think uh, of course he couldn't perform in another department this episode uh, but the less said about that the better perhaps <laughs> um, and as for La Guerta, whether she's a changed woman um, 
well, she's shown herself to be pretty ruthless and very much um, driven. Uh, she knows how to play the game. And uh, I don't know, my feelings at this point uh, on first watch were that uh, I thought she was probably biding her time. Um, you know what they say, keep your friends close, but your enemies even closer. Um, whether Pascal herself is an enemy uh, is debatable. Um, in the finale um, last season, there were hints that she might be more of an ally. Um, but I suspect LaGuerta's biding her time. Now, uh, Travis uh, actually didn't call in this time. He uh, emailed me an MP3 voicemail, or um, actually it was probably looking at the file format, more likely uh, a voice recording off uh, an iPhone. Uh, but that's good. MP3, um, iPhone voice recording, they all work for me. Um, normally, though, Travis uses the listener line. And as I've talked about before, um, unfortunately, the listener line that I use is a free service. Um, and if it's not used within a 30-day period, um, it basically gets cancelled and I have to set up a new number. Um, of course, it's happened again, uh, which is entirely my fault because I'm I'm not cranking these podcasts out particularly fast at the moment, um, and so it is quite often three or four weeks between podcasts. Uh, completely my fault, but fortunately Travis was able to use other means to um, send in his thoughts. Uh, now, of course, anybody listening who wants to send in their thoughts is free to um, create an MP3 file or other format of voice recording via an iPhone or whatever you like. You can email it to me, dissectingdexter at gmail.com, and I'll still be able to use it. What I'm going to do with the listener line is uh, put it on hiatus until season six starts, because uh, by that point we'll be churning out these, these at a rate of one a week. God knows how I'll manage that, but <laughs> I'll do the best I can. Um, but then hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get some more callers and, and keep the line alive and uh, it'll be worth setting it up again. Um, so in the meantime, um, the UK line is still active. Uh, I'll give that number out. Uh, it's 0844 579 6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320. Um, as I say, you can also email me uh, a voice recording in whatever format you choose, MP3, WAV file iPhone voice recording, um, that's fine. Uh, or you can uh, tweet me on Twitter, it's at Dissect Dexter, or my personal Twitter account is at Gareth underscore UK. Uh, any and all feedback is greatly appreciated, so uh, thanks guys. Next time on Dissecting Dexter. Well, the next episode is called Waiting to Exhale. And uh, when I see that title, I just picture poor Dexter holding his holding his breath, <laughs> waiting to breathe out when it's safe to do so after that shock that, uh, as we saw, set his pulse racing. Um, now, I would read out a brief synopsis of the next episode. Um, I had a quick look online this evening um, to uh, pull one off, but um, they're just completely riddled with spoilers. Um, and I was kind of between two minds about whether to read it out or not. Um, but let's just just consider what plots we've what plot lines we've got left hanging. Um, obviously, we've got the uh, the body dumping ground being found, and uh, no doubt that's going to blow up next time. Um, and uh, we've got Doak still on Dexter's tail. So as we as we talked about, um, Dexter's going to be uh, feeling the pressure from two sides. Um, and possibly a third, because there's the, the small matter of little Chino uh, escaping. Um, and we know he's a very dangerous individual, and um, 
is he going to go after that witness? Um, and if the police catch up with him, um, is he going to uh, point the finger at, at Dexter at all? Maybe identify him if he gets brought into the uh, police station. Is he going to see Dexter there? Um, so there's some interesting stuff, very intriguing stuff to come. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about it. So really, that brings us to the end of another Dissecting Dexter, what is, uh, looking at the timer, uh, a slightly shorter edition, um, which some of you may find a little bit of a relief. <laughs> um, I do tend to waffle on a bit, and uh, I do apologise if I do that too much, uh, as I am no doubt doing now. So uh, I'll keep this uh, this closing bit brief, and, uh, and just say um, thanks very much for listening. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you as always, and uh, we'll look forward to dissecting some more Dexter very soon. So from a very muggy Berkshire hotel room where I'm now currently sitting, uh, take care guys, and uh, cheers for now. Mm-hmm.